We are so good to be with you this morning, so good to be back after we missed last Lord's Day. And I hope and trust as we study together from God's Word this morning that something that we say can be a source of strength and encouragement and edification to you. You'll leave here, you'll be builded up in the most holy faith, and you'll say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord this morning. I feel confident this morning that at one time or another, even if just briefly for while flipping through channels on the television set, that many of you, if not most of you, have watched the television program Mythbusters. The basic premise of the show is to take two common or popular beliefs, and they test those beliefs to see if they are fact or if they are a myth. For example, how hard is it really to find a needle in a haystack? Or can dripping water on your forehead really drive you nuts? Those are the kind of questions or myths or urban legends, if you will, that are put to the test in this humorous series that seeks to find out what myths are true and what are not. Well, that's what we want to talk about this morning. For the last six lessons, we have been discussing the misunderstood church, dealing with various things and various aspects of churches of Christ that people misunderstand. And as we've said on many occasions over these last six lessons, misunderstandings are quite common. For example, if I called you on the telephone and invited you and said, Hey, uh, Norman, I would like for you to come to our house for dinner Friday. When would you come? Would you come at 12 o'clock or would you come at you know 5.30 or 6? You see... All of my life, breakfast was breakfast. I mean, that's at the beginning of the day. No, it's no confusion about that. But when I was growing up, we didn't have lunch at our house. We had dinner. And then that night, we had supper. And then I was around people that had lunch at 12 o'clock and dinner at 6 o'clock. And bless their hearts, them poor folks never did have supper. I felt sorry for them. They missed that supper meal. And here's where the misunderstanding comes in. My granddaddy was leaving Gainesville, Texas. And he had accepted work with the Morton Street Church of Christ in Denison, Texas. And we were getting re- they were getting ready to move. And I was spending a couple of weeks with them that summer. And one of my cousins was there also. And one of the elders from Morton Street in Denison called and said, Brother Bryant, we'd like for you to, and your wife to come for... For dinner Friday. And he said, well, that'd be great. Said, now I have my grandson and a granddaughter with me. That'd be for great. Bring them, bring them too. He said, we'll just plan on seeing y'all Friday for dinner. So he hung up the telephone and he told my grandmother. said, well, we're supposed to go to brother and sister so-and-so's house for, for dinner Friday. She said, well, is that dinner 12 o'clock or dinner 6 o'clock? He said, well, I didn't ask. She said, well, Stoop. Now, that was her pet name for him, you have to understand. It wasn't because he was short. He was only about 5'7", and he was short, and he was kind of stooped. But 
Stoop wasn't his nickname because he was short of stature. Stoop was short. That was my grandmother's pet name for him. It was short for stupid. She said, well, Stoop, didn't you think to ask? He said, no, but I don't know. She said, well, maybe they meant dinner for supper. So Friday comes in the middle of the afternoon. We all load up in the car and we drive over to Denison and we're looking at through the house they're going to move into. Grandmother's deciding where she's going to put furniture and so forth. And it just so happens this is right across the street from this elder's house. So about 5 o'clock, we wander over there and ring the doorbell. She said, well, we wondered what happened to y'all. We were expecting y'all for dinner today. They were expecting us for 12 o'clock dinner. We showed up for 6 o'clock dinner, which to them was supper, which was the right thing to do. Fortunately, they had a bunch of stuff left over. They heated it all up, and we had some kind of meal that night. I don't know if it was dinner or supper, but we ate. The point is, it was a misunderstanding. This brother said, we want you to come for dinner. He meant at the noon meal. And Granddaddy thought, well, he means the evening meal. So we showed up at the wrong time. It's easy to have a misunderstanding. We want to take this final lesson about misunderstandings about the churches of Christ. And I'm going to call it Mythbusters. I want to talk about some common myths that have been perpetuated over the years about churches of Christ. Myths that, in my mind, need to be busted. Some of these we may have addressed in previous lessons, some we may have not. And as I said at the very beginning of this series, I do not propose to speak for every member of every church of Christ all over the country. I speak for myself. And I speak for the Center Church of Christ in Center, Texas. How about this myth? Well, I know about y'all. Because churches of Christ believe they're the only ones going to heaven. Has anybody besides me ever heard that said to them before? Absolutely. How many times have we heard that over the years? I've had people say to me, well, I know about y'all. I know all about y'all. Y'all think you're the only ones going to go to heaven, don't you? How many times have you heard that old, tired joke about the preacher that died? And this preacher died and he's being given a tour of heaven by St. Peter. And Peter takes him by the hand and introduces him to people that are living in each room. And they meet, they shake hands, and they're walking down this long hallway there in heaven, gold paving on it, of course. And they come to a, this large, this room that's got a closed door. And as they start to approach this room, Peter turns around and says, And so they kind of tiptoe past this room with the closed door. And once they get past it, Peter says, you have to be quiet when you go past that room. Church of Christ people are in that room and they think they're the only ones here. Now actually, that old tired joke is an equal opportunity joke. Okay? If you'll go home this afternoon and... Google that joke. Do an internet search on Google. You can read that same joke applied to Catholics, Baptists, and other religious groups. They think they're the only ones here. Let me say this. 
and all of my time on this earth. And all the times I have gone to worship services. All the gospel meetings that I've attended in my 67 years. I have never, never heard a preacher in Churches of Christ make the statement that Church of Christ members will be the only ones going to heaven. I've never heard that said. I've never heard a preacher say it. I've never heard a member say it. And I can promise you I have never said it. I've heard lots of folks accuse us of believing that. I've heard lots of folks accuse us of teaching that. I personally have never come face to face with that in the church. Having said that, I have no doubt that you would be able to find that attitude and that belief among our fellowship. With somewhere between one and a half and two million members in this United States, you can actually find almost any belief you want to find among our fellowship. Now then, let me tell you what I believe. Let me tell you what I believe the Bible says. And what I believe that most of my brethren believe also. I do not believe that folks are automatically disqualified from heaven if the congregation they attend does not have Church of Christ on the sign that's nailed to the side of the building. I do not believe Church of Christ has to be printed on the stationery either. I do believe God saves everyone who meets His prescribed conditions for salvation. Let me remind us of what happened the very first time God offered forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus. Remember, it was on the day of Pentecost. It was 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Devout Jews were assembled in the city of Jerusalem. Peter stood up and Peter preached on that occasion. And all of that's recorded by Dr. Luke in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preached and he said Jesus Christ was the Son of God. He was the crucified, resurrected Messiah. Peter said, this same Jesus you have crucified. Remember, he's preaching to an audience of Jews. He says, this same Jesus you have crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. That's in Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. And in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter answered them in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. He said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and even to them that are far off, 
even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So when they asked, what do we have to do to be saved? Peter told them what to do. Repent and be baptized. For, unto, in order that, so that your sins can be remitted, can be washed away. Verse 41 tells us, They that gladly received His Word were baptized. And there were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. That is what this book says must be done for the forgiveness of sins. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. There have been no updates to God's Word. There has been no New Testament 2.0 issued by God. Peter reminded them, in verse 39, as I said a moment ago. The promise is to you, it's to your children, and are all them that are afar off. I firmly believe this morning that God forgives and gives His Spirit to everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, repents of their sins, and is immersed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of those sins. Period. Exclamation point. End of discussion. That's what I believe. That's what this book says. And you looking at me. Whoa, Tim. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Back up. What about someone who doesn't precisely follow Peter's instructions in Acts chapter 2? I will gladly tell you, I leave the ultimate status of their salvation in the hands of God. But I must confess, I am genuinely concerned about their soul. That means if someone hasn't followed what Peter said to do. I will do everything in my power. Everything I can possibly do to persuade that person to do the very same thing Peter told those folks to do in Acts chapter 2 when they asked him what they must do. I will do everything I can to persuade them to do that. Because here is what I do know. When we do exactly what Peter told those folks to do, we can be absolutely 100% sure that we will receive the same blessings that the people received on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Over the years, I have been successful sometimes in persuading people to do what they said to do in Acts chapter 2. And sometimes I have not been successful. However, if I cannot persuade them to do exactly what Peter said to do, I will still be their friend. I will still love them. And I will leave the matter of their ultimate salvation with God. 
Because you see, the matter of their salvation is actually above my pay grade. Now let me go just a little bit further with my answer. I'm also firmly convinced that everyone, everyone who becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ has an obligation to obey to the best of their knowledge and ability everything Jesus has commanded. That's one of the weird quirks of my nature. Remember, I've told you many times, privately and from this pulpit, I'm just a simple country preacher. And being just a simple country preacher, I take what Jesus said to His apostles at face value. I don't try to figure out what Jesus meant. I don't try to figure out what Jesus meant to say. I just see what He said. Do you remember what He told the apostles in Matthew chapter 28? He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Listen to it. Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. He didn't say teaching them to observe some things I've commanded you. Or teaching them to observe most things I've commanded you. He said teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. I believe that all immersed believers studying the New Testament should see the importance of banding together in local congregations that conform to and are committed to every shred of the Apostles' teaching. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Remember what it said in verse 41? They that gladly received His Word were baptized. There were added unto them that day about 3,000 souls. Now look at Acts 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. When they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' teachings, that includes their teachings about the work, the worship, and the organization of the local church. Then comes another question. Well, what about those that are genuinely trying to obey God's will to the best of their knowledge and ability and they've been given the wrong information? What about those who've been wrongly taught in certain areas? Do I think God's grace will cover errors in belief and practice that result from inaccurate teaching? To be sure, I do believe that grace will cover some of our errors in understanding. 
But there are some other things that I believe that I think are relevant to this question. One is this. I know, I know that there are limits to God's grace. Look again at what we said a few weeks ago. Do you remember me telling you a passage of Scripture was to my mind one of the most chilling Scriptures in the New Testament? It's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name we've done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto me, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Why would he say that? Because they called him Lord. But they did not do the will of the Father in heaven. You see, I simply do not know. Did you catch that? I do not know what all those limits to God's grace are. But I know this about genuine faith. Genuine faith is not content to stay in disobedience once truth is uncovered. Genuine faith is not content to stay in disobedience once truth is uncovered. With that in mind, I will do everything in my power to persuade others to see the importance of conforming to the New Testament pattern of living and the New Testament pattern of church life. To restoring things to the way they were in New Testament times. I will persuade some. And I have. Some will not be persuaded. And they haven't. Those I cannot persuade, I will still love. I will still respect. I will still be their friend and leave the determination of their eternal status to God. Here's another thing you've heard. Oh, I'm not even going to get close to getting all these listed this morning. Here's another thing you've heard. Have you ever heard that churches of Christ are a cult? It was in 2006 we had a scandalous shooting of Matthew Winkler by his wife, Mary. Every gospel preacher since sleeps with one eye open. Matthew Winkler was a preacher for a congregation of churches of Christ in Tennessee. If you remember, there was extensive coverage of that on television. If you remember, it was extensively covered on the television program, Nancy Grace. 
And one of her guests she was interviewing on that program described Churches of Christ as a cult. You can go and Google it and you can read the transcript of the show. In the transcript, I did. In the transcript of the show, he's an unidentified person and here's what he said. The Church of Christ is a relatively new church. It was started about 150 years ago by Alexander Campbell and it's unfortunately a very legalistic sect. And they tend to use in methods of intimidation and pressure tactics. They claim they're the only ones going to heaven. And all other people are condemned to hell. It kind of is a borderline cult, unfortunately. I don't want to make it out to be some kind of a Harry Krishna group. But it has cult-like characteristics. That man's ignorance is only surpassed by his pomposity. I take issue with the statement. But I will give him the benefit of the doubt that it was a remark based entirely upon nothing more than his ignorance and it was not something meant to be mean-spirited. Anyone remotely familiar with churches of Christ that knows what a cult is, knows better. How many times have you felt like I intimidated you? You know, how silly is that? Some folks may strongly disagree with our teachings, but they know we're not a cult. A cult is basically a group whose teaching deviates in major ways from the central doctrines of a historic Christian faith. And to be sure, most cults share certain characteristics. They believe God has revealed something special to them or something new to them. God reveals nothing to us except what's written in His Word. That's what He's revealed to us. That's it. But cults have sources of authority that are in addition to the Bible as God's Word. They have a central human leader that they view as a messenger of God who has unique access to God. Now remember something. If you don't know this or have forgotten this, remember this. I come from a family of preachers. Daddy, granddaddy, a couple of uncles. I grew up around them. I grew up around their friends who were preachers. Lots of them. I've been around, I know what it's like when the suits come off. And take my word for it. I've never known a one of them. I thought was a direct messenger with unique access to God. That just didn't happen. No one who is genuinely familiar with churches of Christ would ever claim that our foundational beliefs deviate from the central beliefs of historic Christianity. To the contrary, they would know 
that we believe the Bible is complete and sufficient. It's not to be added to in any way. That scriptures such as 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, Paul says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. All Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. All Scripture is literally breathed of God. Or as Jude chapter 3 says, contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Or as Peter would write, holy men of God. He said, Peter says, no scripture is of private interpretation. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Anyone who really knows churches of Christ would know that we believe the original apostles are the only human leaders with authority over us. To be certain, I have never seen a book on cults that identifies or examines churches of Christ as a cult. Now, you don't have to turn around just take my word for it. You remember the song, Ain't It Funny How Time Slips Away? It was actually written by Willie Nelson. Well, it slipped away this morning. And there's so much more I want to cover. We'll, we'll have another session on some of this. Other myths that I'd like to bust. Things like churches of Christ teach that a person is saved by works. The Greek word for that is baloney. Or that churches of Christ are legalistic churches. No, we're not. And then the one for our age and time, churches of Christ teach, treat women as second-class citizens. We'll save us some of those for another day and another time. Another time when we examine aspects of the misunderstood church. The important question before the house this morning is this. Is Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of your life? I've said this at least a thousand times. This will take me a, be a thousand and one. If Jesus Christ is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He is not Lord and Master at all in your life. And if you've never submitted to His will, I beg you to do that this morning. To do exactly what they did on Pentecost. Or if you've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life, God's way. And you want to come back and you want to confess that. And you want Christian people to pray with you and for you. We'd, we'd love to help you with that. Whatever the need you have in your life is this morning, if there's something we can help you with, for you to be obedient to God, to live God's kind of life, for Jesus to be Lord and Master of your life, all of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us know what your desires are and let us help you as together we stand and while we sing.